Okay, we'll talk later. Hey, welcome. We're going to get started, so if you're getting coffee, giving your offering, any of that stuff, just make your way in as soon as possible. We are going to start. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about Elijah and Elisha. And if you don't know who these two guys are, they are what are known as prophets. So just to get a little background so you can relate, some of you understand this, some of you don't, regardless, it doesn't matter. In the Old Testament, God would choose prophets to speak to his people. Okay, So there would be a prophetic class of people that would speak on behalf of the Lord to his people. And the reason for that is that the Holy Spirit was not yet given fully. So the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would come and he would go. It's what's called visitation. And so they would call upon the Lord and they would seek the Lord for a visitation. In the New Testament, we have something called, everybody say it with me, habitation. So the Holy Spirit has been released unto us and now habitates with us. He is with us always, even unto the end of the age. So we have been given the Holy Spirit. And so there's, while there is an office of a prophet within the New Testament church, all of God's people can prophesy, which means you can hear him. Okay? And her people go, you can hear Jesus? I'm like, all the time. And all God's people can hear him. You can see, you can hear, and you can know and understand as he does. It's a gift. You all have it. Whether you activate it or not, whether you're walking in it or not, it is available to you. Okay? And so we do different things here to develop that, and then people are just amazed at some of the things that happen. But in the Old Testament, God did not, the Holy Spirit, the veil had not been torn, the sky had not been opened, Christ had not risen, and the Spirit had not been sent. Now the Spirit has been sent. It's the fulfillment of the prophetic word in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God will be upon all. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. All of you. All y'all. So the, but in the Old Testament, God chose specific people, and two of those people were Elijah and Elisha. Both of these men were sent to a northern tribe of people. So the nation of Israel, if you understand what's going on here, God set a group of people in a nation among all of the nations to be a light to the world. So let's just follow the concept. It's the same concept in the New Testament, and it's the same idea given to the church, a city within a city. Okay? That's who we are. So, but in the Old Testament, God chose the Jewish people, the Israeli people, he, the Hebrew people. He brought them together. He gave them a, a land. He set them in the midst of all of the nations in order that they would be a light to all of the nations. That was the point, that they would be a light. Okay? And so the nation of Israel divided. The north and the south divided. The north decided they didn't want to follow God anymore. So the nation that God had given them split. North says, hey, we don't want to follow God anymore. We want to make up our own rules. We want to go our own way. All this stuff. So there's 19 wicked rulers was a result of that. So they had 19 guys that just brought a lot of wickedness into the nation. So the land is in darkness. Jesus sends the prophet Elijah to the north. And ultimately, Elisha is going to follow him and be his successor and be a prophet also to the north. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that the northern people were asking God for anything. They were in darkness, yet God sent them a light. Aren't you glad? Jesus wants to reach people in darkness more than they want to be reached. We see the same thing in the New Testament. Land of Naphtali and Zebulun, land that lives in the shadow of darkness. You have seen a great what? Anybody know? Light. God sent Christ to the north, in, in, the, or in, the, in that is case, the northern part of Judah. But he sent, Jesus comes as a light into the world. Jesus comes as a light into darkness. 
He doesn't make anybody come to him. He doesn't force anybody to come to him. He simply presents light, and he says, all who would, come unto me, all who will. And so God sends Elijah and Elisha to be prophets into the north. He sends them into a people of darkness who aren't even looking for light. And so here, what we're seeing here is we're going to see a transition. Elijah's getting ready to come off the scene, and Elisha is getting ready to come on the scene. And so Elijah, here we go, 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah goes from there, from the place that he was, he goes and finds Elisha, the son of Shaphat. We talked about this last week. Elisha is introduced to us in the context of a family. So Elisha came from a family. Probably Elijah did not, because there's no mention of his family. And so there's a mirror between these two prophets. Whether your background is broken and shot out, Jesus will use you. If you come from a background that's alive and intact, Jesus will use you. You understand that? And so Elisha comes from a, we see Elisha coming on the scene from the context of a family. He was plowing with yoke of oxen. He was working a Joe job. He was working an ordinary nine to five job. Spent his days staring at the rear end of oxen. Oh, happy day. Some of you know, man, that sounds like my job. I stare at the rear end of people all day. I like, staring at things that you don't want to look at. But he was working a Joe job. Nonetheless, he was faithful in his job. He did his job. He worked his job. And Elisha comes up to him and throws a cloak over him or a mantle. Well, what does this mean? Well, the prophets in the Old Testament would carry something called a mantle. And it would be of various things. It could be woven. It could be cloth. We see John the Baptist had camel's hair. You know, so he was kind of organic, right? He ate wild, he ate wild honey and, and crickets, right? So he was the first, you know, probiotic kind of vegan-y earth child prophet of the, of the New Testament, but he wore camel's hair. Jesus wore a mantle, okay? He wore, carried a mantle, and it, um, it was called a talith. So he would wear this, this prayer shawl, which would be a mantle. We see the woman with the issue of blood, she grabbed the hem of his garment. Well, she didn't grab his robe, she grabbed his mantle. She laid hold of the mantle. The mantle was symbolic of this covering of the Holy Spirit. It was a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. So Elijah's walking around with a mantle, meaning the Holy Spirit's on me. I carry the mantle or the authority of a prophet. And he took his mantle and authority of a prophet, and he laid it upon Elisha. Elisha gets up, leaves, says, runs after him. Okay, so here we go. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elisha and said, let me first kiss my mother and father goodbye, and then I will come with you. And Elisha says, go back and consider what I have done for you. And so Elisha, went, Elisha left him, went back, took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, burned the plow, cooked the meat, and gave it to people. So he had a big barbecue. And then he set out to follow Elisha. So he lays his cloak upon Elisha. Transformation comes through encounter. Transformation comes through anointing. Elisha had an encounter with the Lord. He put the anointing on him. He put the cloak on him. He ran after him. So here's the deal. The encounters that we have, God has created living encounters. There are encounters with him that you can experience. God's not dead. He's alive. Okay? Jesus said he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Help me out. Okay? So he's the God of the living. The encounters are designed to make you pursue him. When you get born again, 
and you give your heart to Jesus, and if you don't know what this looks like, I highly encourage you to do so. We'll give you hopefully an opportunity at the end of the service to simply ask Jesus into your heart. If you've never done that, those of you that have had that encounter, something in you changes. Do you, can I get a witness? Something that was not is now is. You're different. You can't define it. You don't even know. It's beyond description. That encounter is designed to draw you further. That encounter is not designed or given to you to just kind of leave you there. Encounters are, are given to us to cause us to pursue God at a higher level or to continue to pursue God with our life. Have you ever encountered God's presence in such a way that it caused you to run after him? Salvation's one of them. You've been born again, Jesus, Christian. Go back to the joy of your salvation. If you say, well, I never ran. I just received Jesus, and my life's kind of been meh since then. Well, get, go back to the joy of your salvation. Go back to when you first received him, and go back to that place and begin to pursue him from that place. A lot of people get prophetic word. Okay, you get a prophetic word. God will speak to you and speak over you, and you're like, what am I supposed to do with it? You're supposed to pursue God on behalf of the word that's been spoken over you. You, a lot of people, get, they get prayer, they get healing, they get things, miraculous encounters designed to cause you to pursue him. When I lay hands on people and I see them recover, I see them get healed, I'd be like, wait a second here. This stuff works. And so I began to pursue God for more. So why does it work here and why is it not working here? And I began to pursue God for the answer because I just had an encounter. I just had an experience. And so the experience is designed to push me to pursue him, not come to terms with it on my own, which we do. Here's what the church does. We lay hands on the sick. Boom. Well, wow, we saw a miracle. Well, God must love Sister Susie. Then we go over here and we lay hands on this person. Nothing happens. Well, God doesn't love Sister Betty, you know, or God in his sovereign will has determined that Susie be healed, but Betty be not. Where is that in the Bible? Nowhere in the New Testament. Nowhere. The issue is, is that you could manifest something over here, but you could not manifest it over here. The issue's with you, Christian. The issue's with you. The issue's not with Jesus. So we manifest, we see healing in certain circles all the time. But I cannot manifest, there are certain areas that I can't manifest. And I would love to be able to manifest it. You go, well, you need more faith, brother. Yeah, how you doing? How you doing? How many people have you laid hands on? How many people have you seen healed? How many people have you seen delivered? Okay. That was a call that was put upon my life. I used to mock the people that healed. I was born charismatic. I, used to, I was born in the spirit, but I had this long journey where I didn't want anything to do with it because the charismatics became charismaniacs. It got wild, stupid, crazy, unrelatable. Wasn't naturally supernatural. That's what the church is designed to be. Naturally supernatural. You can be supernatural in the marketplace. If you get all weird and start, whoo, getting willied and, you know, you know, and God says, then you're not being naturally supernatural. If you cannot manifest the power of God in a natural way, that is not the design that God has enabled it. Watch Jesus, full of glory, manifest the Spirit naturally. Nothing weird, didn't have to jump the tables, didn't run around the room ten times to work up the glory. None of that. None of that. The church is designed to be naturally supernatural. So the issue is, while I can do it here, what is it? What am I missing over here? We're to pursue God on the levels of these things. And until I understood that my, it is my issue, not the Lord's, nothing changed. So as long as you keep blaming God for your inability to manifest glory, you're gonna keep, nothing is ever going to happen. Until you begin to take ownership, I know you healed Jesus. 
What is my major malfunction? What is it that I'm not understanding? What is it the lies that I'm believing? What is it in my heart? Was it an issue of faith? I knew a friend and this guy, man, who lay hands on people. He'd start the story out with something like this. I lay hands on 200 people a week. Blah, blah, blah. Goes into the story. Then he begins to tell these testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony. And testimonies that make you go, are you for real? You know, and I would go to Jesus and I'd go, come on. You're trying to tell me that happened? You're trying to tell me that that actually took place? You know what the Lord told me? You know what he told me? You ready? You can, all back, you can all be like, pick on Pastor Kevin because I want to be vulnerable with you because I want to show you what this looks like. He said to me, Kevin, do you lay hands on 200 people a week? Crickets. Do you lay hands on 200 people a week, Christian? Do you? No, you don't. And so the Lord said to me, if you laid hands on 200 people a week, maybe you'd learn a little bit. If you laid hands on 200 people a week, maybe you'd have some of these miraculous testimonies to share. And so you know what I used to do? You know what I do? I lay hands on as many people as I can find. I manifest the glory anywhere, anytime, any place. My son just, just uh, injured his elbow. We had to take him to a medic clinic. You know, anybody that's ever been there, you're like, oh, this is like two hours out of my life. He thought he broke his arm. I could tell he didn't break his arm. But, you know, he's, you know my wife's like, oh, my gosh, his arm is broke. I'm like, I'm pushing. I'm like, his arm's not broke. He's like, yeah, that hurts, Dad. I think it's broke. I'm like, dude, if that was broke, you'd be like sitting up in the chair right now. You'd be howling. It's not broke. So anyway, we had to go to the x-rays. And on the way out the door, they were closing. There's an older gentleman sitting there, and I could see the woman's very, very concerned, very upset. So I go there, and I, I feel the spirit of God hit me. So I'm just standing there. I'm trying to discern the situation. And I'm asking her questions. And then I start praying for the guy that's there that's, that has all of these things. You know, what he had an injured, he had, all, he had like 10 things wrong with him. So it was like, wasn't like one thing was going on. But I just put the presence of God on him, put the glory on him, just began to release the power into him. He's like, wow, I don't know what you did, but I felt that. And I told him, I said, yeah. Did he get up and run around the room? No, he didn't get up and run around the room, but he got an impartation of the healing power of God. What the Lord's going to do with that, I don't know. He said he had cirrhosis of the liver. He's having kidney failure. I mean, the guy had a list. And, he, and I was feeling overwhelmed by the list that he was giving me. And I said, what's your most pressing need? What is the thing right now that is the most pressing thing going on with you? And he told me I have an issue with my liver, so I prayed for his liver. We've seen people with livers healed, so we prayed for him. Do you know that he's healed? I don't know, but I prayed for him, and I released faith. And then as I'm laying hands on him, I could hear the Lord saying he's having renal failure. He is having kidney failure. He didn't tell me that. And so I said, are you having kidney failure? And he said, yeah, I'm having kidney. He said, how do you know? I'm like, well, I'm not going to go into the list of why I know, but I know that I, I feel the Lord telling me you're having renal failure. And so I prayed for him for that. You say, why do you do that? I do that because I want to see the glory of God. That's why I do that. I do that because I believe the things that Jesus said. That's why I do that. And you know what we've seen? You know what I began to see? Testimony. Testimony. But I was the guy going, and I come from this. And I used to see healing and stuff before, but then I'd be like, oh, come on. Come on. You're trying to tell me that a person with rivets in their foot is now able to move their foot, and they now have full mobility back in their foot? You're trying to tell me that? I'd be like, come on. I know you guys are more faithful than me, you know, and you guys never doubt. Ever one time when somebody gives a healing miracle or gives a testimony, you never doubt. You're like, absolutely, that's the power of God. I know you may be more faithful than me, but I'm just telling you where I'm at at the time. You see? And the Lord told me, do you, do you believe me? Do you lay hands on the sick? Do you do that? And then I began to know and began to deal with my own issues. Christians have issues, and we live in our issues for the rest of our life, and therefore our faith never multiplies, our faith never amplifies, and the power of God never comes into our lives. Because we 
limit the power of God through the lies that we believe, through our own ideologies. We believe things that the word does not say. Therefore, the word of God is of no effect in our lives because you're believing a lie that is contrary to the scripture. So the Bible has no effect or the power of God has no effect because you have built a, a monument to a lie that you believe. Some of you, it's unworthiness. I'm not worthy. I'll never be worthy. I'm not worthy. I just don't believe I'm ever worthy. You're all worthy, but I'm not worthy. Who told you that? That's a lie. It'll never work for me. No, no, it works for you. It'll work for, no, it'll work for me. Who told you that? All of these things, these are lies that inhibit the power of God. But an encounter is designed to cause you to pursue him. One of the saddest realities I experience, and I felt the Lord ministering to me on this, is that we pray for a lot of people. We see a lot of people get healed. We see a lot of people get delivered. Healing and deliverance are two different things. Healing is something going on in your body. Deliverance is something going on in your soul, in your emotions. You know, crazy stuff going on inside of you. You know what I'm talking about. Fears, anxieties, all this, and all, whatever it may be. That's deliverance. You need to be delivered at the soul level. Healing is something physical. Deliverance is something, typically, it is emotional. It's a spiritual attachment. To, it's a negative spiritual attachment to something emotional. Being manipulated and controlling by, by something that's by demonic power in the realm of your emotions. That's completely di different. But what we see a lot of times is people get healed, they get delivered, they never come back. They don't say, not that we're looking for thank you, but it's like they don't understand the purpose of the encounter. You just encountered Jesus. The glory just came on you. The power was just released in your life. That power is not to get you and go, oh, thanks, Jesus, let me go off and do my thing again. That wasn't the reason. The encounter has come to you to cause you to go further. You've been healed within the soul now, delivered within the soul, in order that you would pursue him greater in that area that he just gave you freedom. You've been healed in your body in order that you would follow him, serve him, pursue him, at a level that you couldn't do before you were healed. But a lot of people, whoop, right over their head. Were there not ten lepers? Yet one came back and said, thank you. We dishonor the honor that's been given to us. And so if you ever have an encounter with God, if you want the key to the gateway to more, honor the encounter that he gave you. If you will not honor the encounter that he gave you, you will not be given more. Because honor creates access. Without honor, you will not access more. That's why a lot of Christians get born again, and they don't honor the encounter that they just had. You've just been born again, translated from darkness to light. Hope has come into you. Glory has come into you. The devil's power over your eternal soul has now been broken, and you are a blood-bought child of God. But you never honor that. You don't honor it. Therefore, you remain the same. And you don't grow past that point because you have not honored the encounter that has been given to you. And until you honor the encounter that you have received, you will not go further. And so a lot of Christians got to go back to the point of being born again, restore the joy of their salvation, go back and honor that, and begin to move forward from that point. That's what it looks like. Following him, pursuing him, honoring the encounter. One of the scripts, things the Bible tells us is do not carry the Lord's name in vain. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. We run around going, oh, it's just using Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Don't use Jesus' name in vain. That's not what he's saying. Nor is that what the Bible's saying. Do not carry my name in an empty way is what he's saying. You are a daughter and a son of God. Do you carry his name in an empty way? Is that meaningless to you? You're carrying his name in an empty way. Just, just so you know. That's what he's talking about. Do not dishonor what I have given you. 
Do not carry your title as a son. Do not carry the title as a daughter. Do not carry that in an empty way. Value what I've given you. Honor what I've given you. Understand what I've given you. Whether you believe it, agree with it, or anything else, you tell yourself, I'm a daughter of the highest. I am a son of the highest. And you keep telling yourself and keep telling yourself that until it makes a difference. You tell yourself whether you feel like it or not. You tell yourself even if you even agree with it or not. And then once you start understanding your identity, you begin to talk to your future. I'm a son of the highest. Somebody's going to get that job. Lord, I claim that as my inheritance. I just release your glory on that. Somebody's going to get this, whatever. But it begins with that. Don't carry his name empty, Christian. Know what you've been given. Honor what you've been given. Honor who you are. He didn't even say you have to agree with it. A lot of times we're like, he says I'm a son. Well, I don't feel like I'm a son. Who cares? He didn't ask you, how you feeling today, Kevin? You feeling like I'm, you're my son? You feeling like you're part of my family? My feelings and my emotions are irrelevant to the fact that I am. You understand that? Your feelings and your emotions are irrelevant to the fact that you are. Well, you don't know what I did yesterday. So what? My son does a lot of crazy things, but it never disqualifies him as my son. He's my son. He's part of my house. He is bound to his father, and his father is bound to him. Nothing changes that. Good, bad, or ugly doesn't change that truth. And if that's true in the natural, that's even more true in the spirit. He tells Elijah, go back and understand what I've done for you. Elijah tells, Eli Elijah tells Elisha, go back. I've just put the mantle on you. Go back and perceive the encounter that you've received. Go back and understand what I have just done for you. God's put his glory on you, Christian. God's put his name on you. God's put his inheritance on you. Do you perceive what he's done for you? Do you understand what he's done for you? He's done great and mighty things, not because you're anything of any, any stature, just because he loves you. Just because he loves you in spite of you. So if you start, you know, get over yourself. I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable. Get, get over yourself, man. You know, who cares? If you don't love you, it doesn't matter. Jesus loves you. And his opinion's greater than your opinion. I don't love myself. I could never forgive myself. <laughs> Wake up, man. <laughs> I was listening to this tape on spiritual authority recently, and this guy's talking about a lot of things, but one of the things that stuck out to me, what he said, is he said, the devil's favorite tactic is to imitate you to you. Did you know that? That's why the voice sounds so familiar. You're not worthy. You should just give up. It's always going to be like this. You should just kill yourself. You should just quit that job. You should just this. You should just that. You should just go back to whatever it was you were doing before. He imitates you to you. So that, that's why that voice sounds so familiar. Just because that's what God told Adam. Whose voice have you been listening to that's not my own? Who told you you were naked? That's the question. So we want to find out where sin comes from or where the entry point of the devil. We can go back to Genesis. We can see the inception of where it came into our line, into our family of man. And we can see everything that went on there. And part of the problem was man began to listen to a voice that was not, his father, not their father's. That's Article 1. It doesn't matter whose voice. There's only one voice we need, and it's the voice of Jesus Christ. That's it. It's his word through his word. It's his word through the spirit. It's his word through the community. There's so many powerful ways in which he speaks. Next slide. That was only my first slide, so I'm sorry. I'm going to... Elijah was chosen. He encountered God's presence, and he was invited to follow. Okay, here we go. Say this with me. I don't have to understand. I don't have to agree with everything in order to obey it. 
that's not the American way, Kevin. I know it's not the American way, but it's the gospel way. You don't have to understand everything, nor do you even have to agree with everything in order to obey it. He never asked you if you agreed with it. I think that is the plague of the modern culture. You see it a lot with young people. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, guess what? He's not asking you whether you agree with it. Jesus doesn't ask us if we agree with it or not. He doesn't ask. Let's have a vote. Does everybody agree with this? No, because he determines righteousness, Christian. Culture does not determine what is right and wrong. Human opinion does not determine what is right and wrong. The Lord himself is sovereign in this area over righteousness. Righteousness is God's. He says that's right, that's wrong. He says that's good, that's evil. Man doesn't. Man doesn't. We don't get to vote, it's not ours. We invoke laws, we put communities together, we can do whatever we want, but it will not produce the righteousness of God. Nothing good will come from man's decisions to operate outside of God's kingdom. Man does not have the authority, I'm going to go way out on a limb here, to define marriage. <gasps> man does not have the authority to define what is right and wrong. God alone does. And you know what he does? He doesn't ask you if you agree. He says, here it is. Like it or leave me, here it is. I have determined righteousness, not you. And well, I can't stand this. I'm going to be like the 350. They left Jesus because they didn't like what he said. And Jesus didn't beg them to come back. So you know, well, I don't like the things that Jesus says. Well, there's the door. He would say that to you, literally. And he wouldn't beg you to come back. And Peter said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere we can go to receive this other than you. Read your Bible. <laughs> You'll see the story. He didn't understand everything. He didn't even have to agree with everything, but he followed. Well, I don't know if I should leave my father and mother at this time. You know, uh, things aren't going too well here on the farm, and I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure I'm in agreement with this call of God, Elijah. I'm not too sure. It had nothing to do with his agreement. It had nothing to do with it. We got to get over ourselves, <laughs> especially American Christians. We have to get over ourselves. We have to get over our opinions. Nothing is going to change until we come into agreement with what our Father wants and with what our Father says. Heaven doesn't flow through human will. Heaven flows through divine will and human will aligned with divine will. We're conduits of heaven. That's what we are. We're not in and of ourselves anything. We produce nothing of any substance or nothing of any value. But when man aligns with heaven, he becomes a conduit of the supernatural into the natural. And that's what we're made to be. But that only happens when we come into alignment and agreement with what he wants. Jesus has called us forward. Did you know that? Say that. Jesus has called me forward. He's called me higher. He's called me deeper. And he's called me further. In every area of your life, pick one. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, family-related. Pick any area of your life, and God has called you higher. He will not leave you the same. You say, well, why isn't he doing anything? I'm going to point the finger right back at you. It's an issue of partnership. And you have to come into partnership with him. He will not do it for you. He will do it with you. There's a lot of it. It's like, well, Jesus has already done all the work. We don't have to do any of the work. I'm like, yeah, do you read your Bible, bro? Every promise has a condition attached to it. Every one of them. 
Jesus has done all the work for salvation. Yes, it's true. But unless man activates the condition, unless you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and are willing to surrender your life down, Christ has paid the price, but that does not activate in your life until you do it. It's the same thing. God has a purpose, a plan, a path for your family, for your future, for your finances. He has a, he has a plan for it all. And that plan won't come until you get over you, humble yourself, and do what he says in spite of what you think. It's just the way it is. I tell myself all the time I want kingdom. I'm not interested in religion. I don't want to get tickled. Tickle me, pastor. <laughs> Tickle me. I don't want to get tickled. I want power. I want purpose. The kingdom of God is not in tickling. It's in power, the Bible says. The power of God coming into our world. Jesus has called us forward. His presence brings to encounter. Everyone had a presence. Everyone had an encounter. And everyone moved forward. Everyone, this encounter gave greater revelation. Paul had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. That encounter caused him to pursue. Peter had an encounter with God. He said, my God and my God. He said, God, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And then he would later say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, through an encounter with his presence. Thomas had an encounter with the nail holes in the side. And he said, my God and my king. Encounter is to draw you forward. So God works through our lives and drives purpose into our lives through encounter. If you've had an encounter, you have to ask yourself, what's the purpose of this encounter? What just happened here and why? Lord, you've saved me. You ever ask the question, why did you save me? You ever ask that? What does my life mean to you? That you would call me to yourself or that you would allow me to embrace so great a salvation? What, what is it now that you want of my life, Lord? What is it now that I can do for you? What is it now that I can offer you in exchange for that? Have you ever thought about that? Has it ever crossed your mind? That encounter is to drive you further, further. You've gotten a revelation, an understanding. You've received something. It's to push you further. Second thing God does to drive us further is desire. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Next slide. This word desire, do you know what it means? It means delicate, light, vulnerable. Be vulnerable with the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, your desires are hidden under your willingness or unwillingness to be vulnerable. That's what we do. We hide it. We're not even vulnerable with ourselves. Most people don't even know what they want because they refuse to be vulnerable even with themselves. And if you can't be vulnerable with you, you're most definitely not going to be vulnerable with Jesus. Do you even know what you want? Just the surface stuff that we deal with. Elijah had a desire. He left and he didn't look back. So when Elijah came, I can guarantee you, Elisha had been believing God for something. And we know this because when Elijah showed up, he immediately embraced it. He said, man, that's what I've been looking for my whole life. Boom. Same thing when the disciples found Jesus. We have found the one spoken of by Moses and the prophets. We have found the one we've been searching for our whole life. They had a desire. What do you want, Christian? Article 1. What do you want? Articulate it. What do you want? Everybody say this with me. Put your hand on your heart. Say this, Holy Spirit, what do I want? I give you permission to show me what I really want. What do you want? Don't be afraid of what you want. Don't be afraid. Most people are afraid of what they want. You know why? We settle for ordinary when we're called to receive extraordinary. 
we settle for average when we're called to ride the high places. And the, and the, the distance between those two pe things is what, they, what people know what they want. Anything, if you look around the world, and particularly in the realm of business, most guys that know what they want, they go right at it. The world gets out of the way for the person who knows where they're going. The world gets out of the way for the person that knows what they want. The problem with the church is we don't even know what we want. And, and, and that's relative. You can, well, I want a family that honors God, where my home is this and my kids are this, or what, whatever, that, that, that's fine. If that's what you want, that's what you want. That's beautiful. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong. But if that's what you want, that's what you've got to come to understand. What do you want? And then the second question is even as just, is just as dangerous as why do you want it? Why do you want that family? And why do you want your kids that way? I want a family that honors God so that the Lord would be known through my family and that my family would be a witness and a light to the families around us and even to our extended families. I want children who follow you, Lord, so that when I die, the legacy of your life in my life and through my line will continue to next generations. Oh my gosh, we've just tapped gold. <laughs> you just struck an oil well. When you know what you want and the reason that you want it, you just struck gold. When what you want and why you want it aligns with God's heart for you, you've just, you've just hit gold. You just op the heavens have just opened up to you. People go, I want a million dollars. I want a million dollars. You ever ask a person that wants a million dollars why they want it? Ask them. I want a million dollars. Ask yourself. Because we all want a million dollars, don't we? Yeah. Someone's like, I don't want to. I, I asked a question one time. I go, everybody here want a million dollars? One guy didn't. I go, you don't want a million dollars? He's like, I want $10 million. So that's the guy I asked. Why do you want 10 million? Well, I just want all my problems solved. I mean, it, it, that is not an articulate answer. That is not that you've done no work there, bro. Sorry. Why do you want 10 million dollars? What will 10 million dollars do? How does 10 million dollars honor God? If your, if your desire is merely for selfish gain and the kingdom is not in the equation, your desire's off. So if you want $10 million so that it all can terminate with you and your whole life can just be now fortified, satisfied, and everything, you're off. You want $10 million so that I can be free of certain things to fulfill the purposes of God, free to sow generously into the things of God and to give into the thing. Now we're on to something. Now we're on to something. So I'll give you one. I want a million dollars, Lord. Why? Because I want to purpose your kingdom. I want to advance your kingdom. I want to sow. I want my needs met. I want this. I want that. And I want a million dollars. And the Lord will answer you. A, get a job. Oh, that's not giving me a million dollars. B, show up to that job and work nine to five. Oh, that's still not giving me a million dollars. C, start tithing and start giving as I've commanded you to give. Oh, that's not giving me a million dollars. Because if you will not prove yourself faithful with the little things, you will not be entrusted with much. So if you are unfaithful with $10,000, you're going to be unfaithful with $10 million. If you will not be faithful with the little, you will not be entrusted with much. But to those of you who have been faithful with little, my saying to you is believe God for more. Lord, I've been faithful with this job that you've given me. I want more. Lord, I've been faithful in this arena that you've... And faithfulness has nothing to do with perfection. So let's just throw that out the window. Because we think faithfulness is perfection. Faithfulness is not faith, perfection. Faithfulness is consistency in the same direction. That's what it is. Are you consistent in honoring God in that direction? 
Lord, I've been faithful. Lord, we've been faithful, advance us. Lord, we've been faithful, increase us. So if you are the one that's in the faithful camp, begin to believe God for increase. Begin to believe God. Call upon what is rightfully yours. If you're a person who's never, who's never done that, your first call is, is faithfulness. What do you want? Why do you want it? Does it align? Vulnerability leads to faith. When you are vulnerable and willing to offer it, then you can begin to believe God. And once you begin to believe God and align these things, there's something called inevitability. And I don't have time to get into this. I've already talked myself out of the service. But so <laughs> stick around. This is the confidence that we have. That if we ask anything, where? According to his will. Asking according to his will. Your desire, your heart, vulnerable, in alignment with his will, he will hear you. And if he hears you, then whatever you ask, it's yours. It's inevitable. It's a done deal. It's going to come to pass if you will continue in the direction that he's set before you. You want a family that honors God for all these different reasons. You're asking God for these things. He's going to give them to you. He's going, it's going to come to pass. The deal is, is that you have to have expectancy and you have to have readiness. Okay? Expectation and readiness. That's our problem. A lot of times I used to do certain things in my life and there was some, something called there's no such thing as luck. It's being ready. People go, oh, that guy's just lucky in business. That guy wasn't lucky in business. He was ready. In business there's something called the concept of there's always a deal. There's always a deal. The issue isn't whether or not there's a deal. The issue is, is, have you prepared yourself, positioned yourself, and are you ready to seize the deal when it presents itself? That's the issue. Well, I used to do a lot of different things, and I would watch deals go by my face all the time, but I couldn't take advantage of them because I was not positioned. I was not ready. You understand? And so therefore, I couldn't capture the deal. Even if it was presented to me, I was in no position to take advantage of it. So then I began to position myself and get ready. And then when the deal would come, I would be able to take advantage of the deal. That's the way it is. A lot of people, oh, I want this, I want that. Then it comes by you, but you can't seize it because you've never done the hard work of preparing yourself or making yourself ready. It doesn't happen by default. You want a better job. Well, prepare yourself for a better job. So you're in this job, and this is what I'm working, and you're, maybe, you're, maybe you're, you know, you're working in customer service and answering the phone. You know, or whatever it is, maybe, you're, maybe that's what you're doing, and you feel like, I want more, I can do more, I feel like I can handle more responsibility, I want these things. Well, then make yourself ready for that. Prepare yourself for a management level, and then begin to believe God for a management level. And maybe you'll get promoted internally, but maybe God will provide an external ability. He'll provide another job for you to come passing along, but if you've not done your, the prepared work that's necessary for you to seize that, even if you were to get that management job, but you haven't prepared yourself to, and, and, and trained yourself to understand what that looks like, you're either not going to get the job or you're not going to succeed at the job. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? God, you guys are all like looking at me like, like I'm from Mars. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but anyway. <laughs> Inevitability leads to expectedness, and we need to expect God to do what he said, and what we need to take ourselves upon ourselves as readiness. Prophetic impulses. Next slide. I'll, I'll talk about that next, next service. Most people desire nothing. That's the truth. Most people, we're talking about Elijah. Elijah had a desire. God found him and met the desire. They never make their desires known because it's too vulnerable for them. I don't want to let everybody, I don't want to let the Lord know that this is what I want. And the reason you don't want to let the Lord know is because you won't even let yourself know what you want. That's the first thing, is being vulnerable with you. 
We have to get past the shell of, of what we've presented, and we have to get down to the real person of who we are. And we have to begin to acknowledge what we want and why we want it. And we have to do the hard work and the messy work of understanding ourselves in order that we would be able to present it to God or else nothing's going to happen. They never follow the next steps because they feel they're unrelated. So you say, I want this, Lord. I want a million dollars. Get a job. Well, what does a job have to do with getting a million dollars? Just a thought. They never follow the next step. I'm just waiting on a corner, waiting for God to give me a million dollars. Waiting for it. God's called me to write books. You guys have heard me tell that one before. Met a guy, God stands up, God's prophesied over me that I'm going to write books and my books are going to change the nations. I'm like, how's that book coming along, man? You don't want to say that to me because I'll provoke you. You got a chapter yet? You got a title yet? No, just believe in God that I'm going to write a book. I'm like, so like the Holy Spirit's going to show up with a manuscript and put it down in front of you and say the work is done. (laughs) We have to take next steps, even if those next steps seem unrelated. I'm going to go quick. So he comes through that way. He also goes through a meditation of a word. Some people get a word. Stay, go, do this, rest, stop. This word is often in conflict with our ideas. So God, you may be believing God. Should I do this? And the Lord will say, stay, stay. Isaiah 55 is an invitation. It's a recurring theme. My word will not return void. So we get a word from the Lord. It's not going to come back empty. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways your ways. So if God's telling you to do something that's in conflict with your own heart or what you really really think you should be doing, default mode says, honor God and do what he says. Next slide. I'm sorry I can't develop this a little bit more, but I will. Meditation off of a verse. A lot of you, you get a word, you get a verse, okay? The promise is a precedent of the provision, so you get a promise, God said he will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. You can believe God for the promise. But the promise leads to provision. The word provision means for the vision. Do you have a vision? Because God provides for the vision. If there's no vision, there is no provision. Because that's what the word provision means. For the vision. God will give you provision provided there's a vision. A lot of people, I talk about this a lot, you got to remove your big butt. The Lord tells you something, and you're like, but, 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 but. Get the butt out of the way and let God come and talk to you. He leads those who hold on loosely. Elijah left. He burned the cart. He wasn't going back. Okay? We go all in. I tell people when they want to go into ministry, you understand this is a blood oath, right? You want to go into ministry? There's no going back. You bind yourself to this calling with blood. There's no going back. You don't go back. I take a blood oath. I live and die by the gospel, period. My life belongs to him. I'm not going to go tend nets or fish. I will not always be involved in ministry until the, the breath leaves my body. Now, the forms of ministry may change, but I have taken a blood oath, and I have bound myself to the Lord eternally for, this, for his purposes and for his calling. Peter would always be going back. This is what we see. Jesus says, do you love me more than knees? And he's like, what's he trying to do? He says, Peter, every time I tell you to do something and things don't go your way, you go back and do what you want. Is that you? (laughs) Do you love me more than this tackle, Peter? Do you love me more than this fish? Because I've told you to do something, and every time you go out and do it and things don't work out the way you want, you go back and do what you want. That's the point. We can't go back and do what we want. There's only one direction. Everybody say it with me. Forward. Forward is the only direction the gospel calls us. It calls us forward. 
Next slide. I'll just talk about it later. Five key areas of your life where you need a vision, faith, future, finances, family, and friendship. Is, do you have a vision in any one of these? Just pick one. You don't have to get overwhelmed with all of them. You can sit down. I'll give you one to start with today. Your vision for your faith. Let's do that one. What is your vision, Lord, and what is the heart that I have in relationship to you? Who do you want me to be? You're my daughter. And so your question is, what does that mean? What does that mean? How am I, to, what is the vision for me to live, understand, and become, live out this identity that I already have? Get a vision for what it means to be a son. Get a vision for what it means to be a daughter. It means you're favored. I'll give you a couple of them. It means you're favored. It means God's favor's on you. Nothing fair about favor, Christian. Nothing fair. It means your father's business comes before your own. That's another thing that it means. Get a vision for what your faith looks like. Get a vision for your future. All of these things. What are you holding on to? We're holding on to something. Identity, fear, opinions. Let go of what you're holding on to. The Bible says, cast aside every weight that does so easily beset you. What's getting in the way of what you want and where you, where you want to go? Elijah held nothing back. Elisha burned the cart, sacrificed the oxen. He could go back to nothing. You have to be unwilling to hold back. You have to want encounter. So encounter with God. So here's how God's going to lead you. You ready? Let's walk away with this. You're in, say this. It, the encounter with God or the encounters with God that I have experienced are designed to lead me further. So some of you, and here's, the, here's where Christianity really meets the real world, you need to go home and make a list of the encounters and the experiences you've had with the Lord. It's called testimony. Has God done anything in your life? Yeah. Has he broken through? Has he healed you? Has he brought you out of a circumstance? Has he done anything like that ever with you? Anything at all? Are you saved? you born again? Has he forgiven you? Has he come through when, you didn't, when no one else was? I mean, what has he done for you? Make a list of your encounters. And begin to ask the Lord, how can I go further with this? Where can I go? What is this encounter designed to do to lead me? He's broken you through financially. It's to lead you to understand that God will, is your provider. Your work isn't your provider. Your economy isn't your provider. He alone. And so that encounter is to draw you further into the reality that God is the one that provides for you. You understand that? You try to make your marriage work, your marriage keeps falling apart, you believe God, all of a sudden miracle happens, the Lord will show you, you can't do marriage without me. I have to be involved. You can't raise kids without me. I mean, pick one. But the encounter is designed to lead you further. So make a list of the encounters. Desire, what do you want? We talked about that. Do you have a word? Has God spoken a word over your life? Call that out. Is there a verse? And then you begin to take opportunity in line with any of these. Some of you, you're praying, you're believing God, oh Lord, heal my marriage, heal my marriage, and then there's a marriage seminar that comes along and you go, nah. Well, could it be? You're asking the Lord for a provision and now all of a sudden here's a marriage encounter. Nah, that's not Jesus. You're believing God for a financial breakthrough. The pastor does a teaching on tithing and making a tithe challenge and giving the full tithe for one year and you go, nah, that couldn't be Jesus. You see where we're going? I'm just telling you, what you're believing God for, he's going to prevent, he's going to provide you with opportunities to seize that, to lay your hands on that. What is it that you want? Man, do you know he has more for you than you, you can possibly imagine? 
His desires are even greater than your own. His wants are even greater than you. I can tell you, Elijah had no idea what God was going to do with him. No idea. He, all he had was a desire to follow God and probably be like Elijah. That was all he had. And God used Elisha, as we'll see, double, twice, what the way he did, he used Elisha. Elijah. And God will do the same for you. His desire for your life is greater than your own. But the question is, is are you going to partner with it? The question is, are you going to press into this? I'm trying to give you some understanding of what really changes Christians' lives. What really changes Christians' lives. What re where this stuff really works towards not this stale, empty religion and this stale, empty thing that we do all the time. And that's really what Christianity can become if you do not invite the power of God the power of the Spirit, and begin to activate his principles. When you activate the principles of God, life comes into your world. Life comes into your life. And this is part of the way through. So let me bless you. Let me ask this question. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do so. All you've got to do is open up your heart and invite him in. And we're going to lead you in a prayer, and the whole church is going to pray together with us. But if that's you... All I want you to do is step through. And you're the guy that you're the person or the woman or whoever you are. Your heart may be beating fast right now. Your palms may be feeling a little sweaty. And you're like, man, I'm not, I'm not sure about this. It's you. It's you. Jesus is knocking at your heart. You're feeling a little funny in your stomach. God's talking to you. And all you got to do is just step in by faith. You don't even have to understand in order to believe. And just pray with us. And the church is going to pray with us. Let's pray together. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. And let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.